The Bonfires of Social Enterprise with Detroit-based Rami Gingrass of Gingrass Global. Field notes and tips. Hey, welcome to another Fireside Chat, where we do our best to answer a question or address an issue that regularly comes up in the field of social enterprise. On this episode, we're going to have some fun discussing what to do if you're feeling small in the middle of the big sea of business. I hope to show you that small isn't bad. In fact, you're an amazing company. One of the questions I get all the time is some version of this one. I'm so small, how will I ever get to the next level? Or it seems impossible to get big and scale at this rate. Additionally, since we work with funders, we often are asked, these social enterprises are tough to scale, aren't they? There seems to be this perception in the marketplace that you only deliver value and are important in business if you achieve some sort of size. Well, it's just not true. Here are three pieces of truth. One, you don't have to be big to be good. Number two, you don't have to be big to make money. And number three, you don't have to be big to deliver a social good. Before we explore this a little further, let's talk about a few definitions. By definition, you are a small business in the US if you have less than 500 employees. To a budding social entrepreneur, the thought of having 500 employees seems like some sort of I don't know, a hallucination (laughs) that's interesting but unlikely. Instantly, you can feel lost in the sea of business and dismissed. Now, let's consider the definition of micro-business or micro-enterprise. I mean, I'm aware that the term is incredibly demeaning, but that is the name of the classification. If you look on Wikipedia, it will tell you it is a business with 10 or fewer employees, generically. Most countries will identify a micro-enterprise as having only two or three employees. Here's an interesting statistic for you from census.gov. There's approximately 28 million small businesses in the U.S. What percentage would you guess is micro-enterprise? 95%. Yeah, 95%. So that's approximately 26.6 million micro-enterprises just in the U.S. So... My first point I would like to make is that micro business makes up almost all of the small business. Oh, and by the way, most of the micro businesses are one person solo gigs. So they're creative, hardworking folks that created a job for themselves. Now, I find the term micro a little demeaning and dismissive. I mean, I understand that we have to classify at times, but really, (laughs) micro? No wonder everyone I run into seems to have insecurities around their social enterprise size. If you are constantly labeled as micro, you can begin to believe it. So from here on out, we will refer to the micro social enterprise and social entrepreneurs as garage bands. Why? Well, because it's fun and pretty much because there's no one here to argue with me during this fireside chat. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, doesn't the GarageBand label have a more positive feel? I think so. Maybe that's because I love GarageBands. I love social enterprise. One day, as I considered GarageBands, I was thinking about something altogether different. I began to see so many similarities between smaller social enterprises and GarageBands. They're both collaborative and creative. They come together with others to co-create. Their passion for their work unites them, and they usually end up creating something good. We all know that many garage bands have gone on to become very successful. And I would submit that we also know many businesses that started in a garage or a basement. 
I mean, you can just log on to Google and lists upon lists will pop up for you. One such article was found in Business Pundit March 1st of 2009. They give an example of the U.S. toy maker Mattel. I'm going to read just a clip of it here. Shortly after World War II, newly married Ruth and Elliot Handler decided to start a business out of their garage of their Southern California home. Though Mattel is best known as a toy maker, the brand initially produced and sold picture frames. Shortly after opening for business, Handler began making dollhouse furniture with the scraps left over from the picture frames. The couple would soon find out that the toy business was much more lucrative than picture framing. The Handlers had little business experience and even less capital, but the demographics of a baby boom plus a virtual toyless marketplace afforded the couple a unique opportunity to carve out a niche. Mattel would have their first hit toy in 1947 with the Yooka a miniature plastic ukulele that proved to be an immediate success and drew large orders. By 1955, Mattel had grown enough to become a sponsor of the new television program, The Mickey Mouse Club. Soon after, Mattel released their iconic toy, Barbie. And in 1963, the company went public. From the humble beginnings in a garage to the New York Stock Exchange, Mattel is now ranked 413 on the list of Fortune 500 companies. And in 2008, Mattel reached $6 billion in revenues and reported $4.8 billion in assets. End of article. One of the differences between social entrepreneurs and garage bands is that garage bands seem to readily accept their small beginnings and they don't let it distract them. They're just happy to have a place to jam together and make music. Social entrepreneurs can, in some cases, become so disturbed that they're small that they begin to believe that they're not doing good or having impact because they're small. They then often begin to chase funding for scale instead of growing organically. I like to say the very best investor is a customer. I have six reasons why honoring your stage of business and size is important, especially if you're a garage band. Here we go. Number one. You have time to test and improve your idea. You can change your mind. Here's an example number one, Taco Bell. Did you know that Taco Bell originally began as a hot dog stand? Oh yeah, when he introduced the taco shell, his business took off. What if he wouldn't have changed and stubbornly demanded that he continue to sell hot dogs? <laughs> How about Avon? Avon started as a book sales company. The founder discovered it was easier to sell the books to women if he offered perfume. Then it eventually became perfume, primarily, and women's products. Marriott was originally a root beer stand. Wrigley, known for its gum, was originally a soap maker. The list goes on. Small allows you to test, observe, and pivot without much risk. It allows you to pay attention to what folks are or are not buying and why. Number two, being small gives you time to bond with your product and become intimate with all of the uses of it. Let's look at Coca-Cola. One of the world's most famous brand names was originally invented as an alternative to morphine addiction and to treat headaches and relieve anxiety. Many of you know Coke's inventor John Pemberton, a Confederate veteran of the Civil War who also suffered himself from a morphine addiction, first invented a sweet alcoholic drink infused with coca leaves for an extra kick. He called it Pemberton's French Wine Coca. It would be another two decades before that recipe was honed, sweetened, carbonated, and eventually marketed into what it is today, the most popular soda in the world. How about Play-Doh? 
Do you know that was invented originally in an attempt to ease the pain of removing wallpaper? Become so informed with the uses and applications of your product. Make it yourself. Know it inside out. Be the expert. Number three, there has never been a better time to become a social entrepreneur as this time and season in history. There's a strong interest and curiosity right now about doing business and making a social impact. In fact, I would submit there seems to be a grace for not growing as fast, not scaling because you are a social entrepreneur. Once people really begin to understand the efficiency of social entrepreneurship, then they begin to support it. I really find the questions that are asked about scale are really more about learning than judging. I mean, at this time in history where the rules aren't set yet, you can take some time to figure it out. There's some grace on the business growth because of the social mission. We might not have this opportunity in the future. You have the ability to be a leader and a pioneer in the field now more than ever. This is an amazing time in history. Number four, if you are willing to honor the stage of business you are in and not view the resources you have as small and limited, you'll begin to find more uses for your resources. When you begin to embrace an attitude of excitement for where you are, the atmosphere around you changes. The desperation goes away to be something that you're not. I mean, I'm not saying you should abandon the idea of growing, that not at all. I'm merely suggesting that you begin to honor the place you're in now. Do a great job and watch how things change around you. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been approached by an aggressive salesperson? How about an aggressive salesperson that seems to be acting in desperation? I'm going to give you a moment to just sort of call that situation to your mind. (laughs) Are you feeling excited to be around that person? Are you thinking, I'm so inspired by them that I just want to spend more time with them and I definitely want to purchase something from them? Yeah, probably not. So why are we doing it so much as small social enterprises? You guys are the cool and hip garage bands. You're the one everyone wants to hang out with. You're figuring out how to be efficient with money and resources and you're delivering a social good. Number five, if you're so focused on growing before you have a natural demand, you can end up in bondage to funders. What you don't want to do is go out and buy a market. Make sure you have a natural demand for the product. And if not, create one. But don't go out and borrowing money so that you can create one. Number six, Slow is normal. It's rare to go fast. Not everyone is a Google or Facebook. That's rare. By the way, Google started in a garage. Garage band, just saying. Slow is okay. Slow is responsible. Slow builds character. Find ways to sell your product with what you have and find a way to supplement the rest if you have to. It's completely okay to take 10, 20 years to grow your business to the place you want it to be. It's normal. Now, don't be discouraged that I just said that. I did not say that your business wasn't going to work for 20 years or that you were not delivering a social good, did I? Consider the following hypothetical situation. What if you were an electrician? And let's assume you were a a one-man shop for the moment. Now, let's say that each day after you went about your electrical work for your clients that you stopped by a low-income housing project and offered some services at no charge. Let's assume you fix two issues a week for homeowners that would normally have cost them $500 each. 
So each week you're effectively donating your time of about $1,000 to help others who can't afford it. Your income begins to average a nice amount to support you and your family and you have enough now to save for retirement. About five years in, you hire two apprentice roles and then every five years after that, you hire another two. You teach your apprentices how to help others in the same way you've been doing with in-kind services. Now, after a 20-year period, assume your business grew to 10 people. As you look back, you made a nice income for your yourself, your family for 20 years. You provided employment to nine others and several other interns during the years. You kept up your own pro bono giving of a thousand a week of services over 20 years, which added up to what dollar value? That would be approximately a million dollars of services you gave. And oh, by the way, you also created about $10 million in employment income. Not bad for a garage band. That doesn't even consider all the other contractors you sent business to over the years. So, pretty fabulous, isn't it? Let's stop belittling small beginnings and start to enjoy our, I don't know, our size of the moment. You never know what's coming around the corner. And with every day that goes by, the garage band social entrepreneurs are delivering more and more impact. So let me finally answer the topic question of the show, which was, how will I ever scale and get big? I'm going to answer that question with another question, which is this. Why do you feel like you want to get big and scale? I would like you to ask yourself if you feel you're making steps in the right direction each day. And if you are, then relax. I would like to draw your attention to the folks that are standing outside of your garage listening to the great practice sounds and songs coming out of your shop. You may have a fan club that you are unaware of. Enjoy the phase and this time in your season. Enjoy the opportunity to be creative before the world demands the song they want from you on stage. Enjoy this time and know this. You are very important to the world right now, just as you are. The Bonfires of Social Enterprise podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, listened to on TuneIn, and select episodes are now available via prx.org or the Public Radio Exchange, which is an award-winning public media company. For more information and to directly download episodes on your desktop, please visit bonfiresofsocialenterprise.com and find us on Twitter at Bonfires Podcast and Facebook bonfires of social enterprise if you have time please fill out the survey that we have on the website it'll help us do what all social enterprises need to do which is gather data from our listeners so that we can be better servants i'm rami and i want to personally thank you for listening and sharing music by dan castle and thomas rojo portions of this podcast have been provided by rami jingress and copywritten 2015 jingress global llc and are disseminated by Flatlands Avenue Productions by exclusive arrangement with Jingrass Global, LLC.